Well, hey there. I'm louder than that. You're going to have to turn me down. I'm a yeller. I was a theater kid. Um, true story. Uh, if I haven't got to meet you yet, my name's Aaron. I'm one of uh, the pastors and preachers, actually, at a church called The Trails. Uh, and this morning, I have the great opportunity to open up God's Word with you. Now, uh, if this is one of your first times here, I am new as well, so we can be new and awkward together. Uh, in fact, immediately after this, just to let you know, heads up, I'd love to stay and chat with you, uh, but I'm actually preaching at our church this morning as well. So I'll be preaching here and jumping in my Jeep and driving very quickly uh, so I can go preach there. So I'd love to stay and hang out with you, but alas, I cannot. So just letting you know, uh, if all of a sudden you're like, where'd that guy go? That's where I am. Uh, so um, I am really excited to be here with you as we are continuing um, along inside our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to go ahead and open up your... Bible with me, either either uh, the analog version uh, or uh, or on your phone. That uh, will be in Matthew chapter eight. Matthew chapter eight, and we are looking at verses starting verse fourteen or sorry eighteen uh, to twenty two. And so, uh, I uh, I listened to your sermon last week. By the way, it was very good. And do you know what I realized that you do at the beginning of your sermons is you get people to stand up and read through God's word with you. So I'm going to do that for us. So. Let's go ahead and stand up together. Uh, let's read together Matthew uh, chapter 8. I'll be starting in verse 18. I'll read 18 to 22. This is God's word. It says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May we see it. Let's go ahead and pray together as we're getting started. So Father, I pray that as we do come into your word now, that you would use it powerfully in our lives as your people. God, I pray that you would let it be beneficial and profitable to us that we might grow in our love and our knowledge of you as a result of our time. May we see the cost of following after Jesus and and may we be given grace to follow. We love you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it is a joy to be able to gather with you again today and uh, come under God's inerrant, inspired, infallible, trustworthy, and profitable and sufficient word. All of those words are very important. Uh, and to continue this series uh, as we are in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, as I was getting ready for this uh, this sermon this week, my wife and I have also been beginning to plan our 10-year wedding anniversary, which is coming up very soon. And so uh, as we were planning about that, it got us to talk about how before we got married, that I had no idea what it meant to be married. I mean, zero idea. I knew I wanted to be married, I think. I don't, I don't know what I was looking forward to. I, I, wanted, to be, I wanted to be married. I didn't know what it, what it meant to be married. Do you know what I mean? If you're married, you're due. If, you, if you're not married, you have no idea what I mean. You, you, you love this person. You want to spend the rest of your life with them. But you have no idea what it means to be married until you've been married. You're walking along life with this person and so we started talking about a little bit about what that was like beforehand, right? I watched movies. I saw other couples. I had this imaginary world of what I thought marriage was going to be like before I got married. I, I thought I knew 
how life would go. I thought I knew what it meant to be married, but then in being married, I quickly learned that being married and imagining what it was like to be married are different things. If you're married, you can say amen. Because that is, that is also true for you. Imagining being married, being married, different things. And at least once a week or so, even to this day, my wife and I will look at one another and we'll say something like this. I'll look at her and I'll say, honey, so I'm a city kid, first and foremost. So I'll look at her every now and then and I'll say, honey, who are we? We are people who live on an acreage, own chickens for eggs, and then cull them and eat them. We now grow our own vegetables, and we have these three tiny humans growing in our family. Who are we? And who have we become? She'll look back at me and say, I have no idea. I have no idea. See, before being married, or we had this idea of what marriage would be like, but being married is a different thing. Being married, we balance budgets, we plan together, we have babies, we walk through miscarriage and loss. We dream together, we work on goals together, we bury grandparents and parents. We walk through every high and every low together, every heartache and every joy. See, marriage is much richer and fuller and much more demanding than I ever imagined possible. And yet that one is, after salvation, God's greatest gift to me. Marriage is a wonderful gift, a much more wonderful gift than I knew it would be. Now you might wonder, what does that have to do with what we just read in Matthew chapter 8, 18 and 22? Well, in this passage, we see two small conversations that Jesus has about what it means to follow him. Now, both of these men thought they knew what it meant to follow Jesus. Right? The scribe had heard stories, at least, of everything that had transpired, and maybe some of Jesus' teachings, since he walks up to Jesus and calls him a teacher. And then this other man is mentioned, did you notice, as someone who is a disciple, someone who's probably been following Jesus for a couple of days, or weeks, or months, and both of them have this idea of what it means to follow Jesus. It is an idea of what it means to follow Jesus. But in Jesus' response, what they think it means to follow Jesus, and what it actually entails to follow Jesus, are not the same thing at all. They're very different. Now, these verses come right at the end of last week's passage. Jesus had just healed Peter's mother-in-law and also healed the demonically oppressed and sick that were brought to him. Right? This unspecified number of people demonstrating Jesus' power over the demonic world and over all sicknesses. And it's here where Jesus explains that it's time to cross back over the Sea of Galilee and head off to the next place where they are to go. And it's in that moment where these two men approach Jesus and they express these desires to follow him, to go with him. Yet, as we just had read for us, Jesus' words to them graciously kind of pull back the curtain of what they thought it would entail to follow after Jesus and what it really means to follow after Jesus. In fact, following after Jesus would be much more costly than they originally thought. So they need to weigh the cost before jumping into the boat with Jesus and taking off to only he knows where. See, in their minds, following Jesus would be easy, but in actuality, following Jesus is a total abandonment of everything else in this life. It is a wholehearted pursuit. Thus, to follow Jesus is a serious call. It is not to be entered into haphazardly or lightly. So as we're getting into the text today, I want us to pause and consider our own lives and to consider how we even answer this question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? 
lead, follow them. And as I mentioned, this, this text, it's, a, it's kind of an in-between text. It's, it's one that if you were in your daily Bible reading, you just kind of fly over it uh, because you're, you're leaving this, this great healing and then you're about to go on to see everything that happens in the boat that you'll learn about next week. It, but it's kind of a flyover text. But, but it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful text. It's a beautiful text that, that, we, ought to, that we ought to think about much more intently, maybe than we have. Because two very crucial conversations happen, and we see what it means to follow Jesus. And the first one begins as a scribe approaches Jesus. Now, we remember that a scribe is someone who gave himself to studying and knowing the law of Moses. Right? They were part of this scholarly class in Israel. And, and on the whole, we know that scribes were fiercely loyal to tradition, and they were the teachers of the law. Now, scribes were not followers of other people. They were the teachers. And yet here, this scribe, running up for a last-minute conversation with Jesus, he begins by looking at Jesus and calling him teacher, which is a bold move. It's a bold move for this guy to say, teacher. And then he declares out loud for everybody here, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, on the surface, that sounds like an amazing statement, right? Jesus has been there. He's heard Jesus preach. He's seen the miracles of Jesus. Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. That is, seems to be like an authentic, genuine declaration of allegiance. Wherever you go, I'll be there. Jesus is about to head out. This guy, he wants to come too. Maybe he's back to back. He's decided, I'm going to follow you. Wherever you're going, I'm going too. Now, we're going to pause for a second. At, at this moment, we don't know the extent of the persecution on Jewish people at this point in Matthew for someone who's following Jesus. But we're still pretty early on in Jesus' ministry, so maybe at this point, someone like a scribe could still follow Jesus and still remain being a scribe. Maybe the cost wasn't too high yet. However, what we do know is that it won't stay that way for long. Right? Right, for example, if you were to flip over to John chapter 9, look at verse 22, we'd see that before Jesus' death, that if anyone that was Jewish confessed that Jesus would be the Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. So we don't know if that's the case yet in Matthew chapter 9 or not, but we know this man is a scribe and that he had undoubtedly begun to count the cost of following after Jesus, and he's on board. He wants to do this. He's all in. Which makes Jesus' statement to this guy seem really bizarre, doesn't it? Does it seem odd? I mean, if somebody told you, if you're sharing Jesus with somebody, and they said, Craig, I want to follow Jesus, you'd probably say, Craig, here's a prayer, repeat after me, afterwards, praise God. And, and yet, this isn't what Jesus does. So interesting. I mean, if you if you're thinking this scribe, this this person who knows the law really well, this person comes to Jesus, voices this. Jesus' response seems strange. See about this week about our natural response to that, Jesus's natural response to that. We we might just want to slap a sticker on him, get him baptized, have this person maybe start teaching classes and lectures next week at our church. But Jesus looks at this scribe and does the weirdest thing. He gives two illustrations and then makes a statement. 
Jesus responds like this to him. He says, foxes have holes. Right? Places where they sleep, places where they're safe, they cuddle up into the little hole. Birds of the air have nests, right, for the purpose of having little bird families. But, in contrast, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's Jesus' response. And it's so fascinating because what Jesus is doing here is he's beckoning the man to consider the cost involved in following him. So Jesus is not after easy believism. Jesus is not trying to get as many of the popular folks, nor is he trying to collect as many of the scribes and Pharisees on his team as he can. Right? This, this is not the NHL all-star game. Like, who can we get on our team? No, Jesus beckons the scribe to think much more intently about this decision before making such a proclamation. And it's a gracious thing to do because... Following Jesus' will in the years ahead undoubtedly mean that this man will walk through incredible hardship and suffering and persecution just for following after Jesus. So Jesus knows where he's headed. He's headed to the cross. And he knows what will happen to his disciples. So he cautions this guy. Let me know. He must be ready to give up everything in order to follow after Jesus. Because following Jesus will cost this man his job, his reputation, his family, and probably his very life. Thus, in this very small exchange, Jesus hears what he says, and in that invites the man to think much more intentionally. He's trying to help this man think through much more intentionally what is the cost involved in actually following after Jesus. He wants it to be very Plain, very clear. And to do that, Jesus says that he, as the Son of Man, has nowhere to lay his head. But which is a phrase that, that speaks of Jesus' humbleness, his abandonment of everything in order to fulfill the plans and purposes of the Father. Thus, Jesus is telling the scribe who makes this very bold public statement, I'll follow you wherever you go. That, that following Jesus means that he must leave everything behind. He must completely abandon everything. His creature comforts, his plans about where he wants his life to go, his profession, any status or privilege that might be associated with that. This following Jesus wherever he would go would cost this scribe everything. Jesus just pulls back the curtain bed on this man's heart and just asks him, hey, consider the cost here. To, to be really sure that he weighed sufficiently. Following Jesus is, is kind of like what R.C.H. Linsky, who's a Bible commentator, he, he explains this about how easy it is to see soldiers on parade. You ever been to parade and you see soldiers walk by they're there in their fine uniforms and their glittering arms, which makes young men really eager to join the military, forgetting all about the exhausting marches and the bloody battles and the graves, perhaps unmarked that await them. Likewise, when Jesus heard this eager proclamation of the scribe, he saw it for what it was. It was an uncalculated proclamation. Whereas Jesus knew all about the self-denial, suffering, and sacrifice that awaited all of his followers, this man did not. 
Thus he needed to count the cost, measure it, weigh it. Because the days ahead would not only entail great sermons by Jesus and wonderful healings of people that were plagued by demons being set free from them and people that were sick being healed. It would include that, but it would also include suffering on account of the name and this man's potential death. See, the interesting thing about how this interaction ends is that we don't have any, we don't have any record of, of what happens after this little interaction. That's strange. You see, you see nothing here. The conversation just moves on to a different conversation. We don't know how the scribe responds to Jesus. Maybe he walked away. Maybe the cost was too high. Maybe he had counted the cost and followed Jesus. Maybe he got into one of the other boats that Mark tells us about that went with Jesus to, from Capernaum. We aren't told, but in Jesus' words, we would be wise to hear his warning, not only for this man, not only for anyone who reads the Gospel of Matthew, but also for us. We would be wise to hear Jesus' warning for us in this text. See, friend, if you're here and you're considering following Jesus, you need to be warned that there is a real cost involved in following Jesus. This church, as many of us are aware, was birthed during a time of suffering. During a time where, where we as Christians suffered simply on account of wanting to gather as a church when our government declared it illegal to do so as Christ demands us as his people. Many of you, therefore, counted the cost of following after Jesus and you determined it was worth it. The fines, the potential jail time, you looked at that and said, worth it. Worth it. Count the cost, follow Christ. That's the aim. So we weigh this. Friends, especially in the midst of a culture that is increasingly hostile to this book right here. Friend, if you're looking for easy believism, following Christ is not the path for you. If you're looking for something that will cost you nothing, Christ is not your hope. It's the cost of following Christ in the middle of our country in these days is waiting. For you stand on God's inerrant word as your comfort and hope and your anchor will cost you. I even heard this past week that the mayor of Calgary just brought in a bylaw that defines harassment as communicating with a person in a manner that could reasonably cause offense and humiliation in reference to a number of factors, including race, gender, sexual orientation, or gender identity. Do you know what that actually means? That means to call homosexuality or transgender ideology or drag story hour sinful and depraved, leading to the wrath of God being poured out on that individual for all of eternity unless they repent of their sin and believe upon Jesus. Proclaiming these basic truths is now a crime in Calvary. 
brothers and sisters, all of these things are the beginning of birth pangs here in Calvary. It will not stay just in Calvary. See, if you're standing on God's inerrant word, believing what he says in this book will cost you, just as it did the saints of old. In fact, if we read the book of Hebrews, we learn that those Christians had their houses taken away from them for simply following Jesus. We see that in Hebrews chapter 10. The cost was high for them. The suffering they were walking through was real. And yet they are encouraged by the writer of Hebrews to look back on the saints of old in Hebrews chapter 11 to bolster their faith in the midst of suffering and to press on. Church following Jesus has meant for the last 2,000 years in various places globally that you'll be kicked out of your home, lose your job, lose security, thrown into prison, and murdered for your faith. Following Jesus is costly. And Jesus' words here remind us that we must be ready to give up everything in order to follow him with the reminder that there is, praise God, a crown of glory at the end. There are better rewards to be had at the end, but there is hardship and suffering along the way that needs to be considered. So as you are counting the cost before becoming a Christian, know that the cost is high. But it is worth it. It's worth it. So that's our that's our first conversation. Verse 21 begins the second one, where we read, this is what we read. It says, another one of the disciples, so, so this man apparently is someone who's unofficially identified with Jesus, and who may have been following Jesus, as I mentioned, a couple of hours, days, weeks, months, we're not talking exactly how long. But this man, on hearing what Jesus said to describe, and knowing that Jesus is leaving across the other side of the sea, he begins thinking about his own life in light of that weighty statement that Jesus just made, and he turns to Jesus, and he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, there's two ways that we could read this statement. Now, the first is that this man's father might have just passed away. He could have died this very day. He could have just heard news from somebody that his father had died, and it was common at this time to bury someone on the exact same day that they died. Uh, they didn't use the same kind of embalming processes like they do today, and the decomposition starts to happen very quickly on a dead body. And so they needed to have the funeral and get the body in the tomb as quickly as possible on the day that he died. But the whole funeral mourning process took about a week. That's one possibility of what this, this could mean. Either his father had just died a couple of moments ago, or he had just died maybe that week, and, and he had come and seen Jesus, but he's during this mourning week. So maybe he needs to get home and, and be with his family, and then he'll rendezvous with Jesus. Right? That honestly would sound like a reasonable request to be made if your father had just died. And it would also be honoring to his father and mother, just as we're commanded to in the Ten Commandments. And that would be very pleasing to God. That's the first option of what this could mean. But the other way that we can read this request is more in line with what we know about a common form of speech in the day. It makes more sense of Jesus' word back to him. That referred to his son's responsibility to help his father in the family business until his father died and the inheritance had been distributed. Obvious that such a commitment could have included and involved a very long period of time. This man could have actually been asking Jesus for 30 to 40 years or more if his father was relatively young. And this second option seems to be much more in line with what this disciple means. Remember, the disciple is about to head out on a boat. This man doesn't know how long he's going to be gone away from his home, from his parents, from his father. So Jesus responds to me, 
for response to him, it says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, it's important to note, Jesus' words here are a figure of speech, and it's proverbial. Right? Like, what can dead people do? Nothing. Dead people can't bury dead people. Dead people are already buried. Right? So, dead people cannot bury dead people. So, this is a proverb. It's proverbial. Uh, so, what Jesus means here is he's saying to this guy, you follow me. That's what should concern you. And let the world take care of the things of the world. Therefore, what Jesus is doing here is he's beckoning, he's calling, he's imploring this man to follow him and to leave behind all potential future gains from any kind of earthly inheritance, to leave his house, to leave his father, and all things familiar and familial in order to follow after Jesus. And again, just like the, the last conversation, we are not sure how this conversation turns out. We don't know if this man followed Jesus or he turned back and shamefully walked away. Yet the importance in Matthew's gospel is, again, to show that this conversation really did happen. And he means it, he wrote it down, so that his readers, including you and I, would hear Jesus' words and then examine our own lives. Thus, as we consider the cost, we also need to know there is a family cost in following Jesus. There might be a potential inheritance loss in following Jesus. And the question is, is it worth it? If Jesus were to call you to leave behind everything that you own, to move to an unreached people group for the rest of your days, you might wonder, what about my pension? Especially if you're of retirement age. I've put money into my pension for years. Do you mean, Jesus, I'm to follow you to an unreached people group and leave my pension? Because if I'm gone out of Canada for a certain number of months or years, I'll lose all of my CPP receivings. So no, I can't follow Jesus because, well, I have my pension. Friends, might that be you? Jesus' two statements build upon one another so that in the original audience there with him that day, nobody is left wondering, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? He means it will cost you everything. You must, as a Christian, lay everything down on the table. Your chips are all the way in. The blank check of your life is on the table. You've signed it and given it to Christ. And he dictates where you go. You do not. You see what I mean? The cost is high. That's the point that Matthew wants the readers of the gospel and you and I even today to reflect on. Is Jesus worth this kind of allegiance? Is he worth it? careful reader of Matthew will also pause and remember that we have seen something like this happen before in the Gospel of Matthew. Does anybody remember where? Matthew chapter 4. Flip over there with me. 
Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Four chapters before this. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. And as he did so, he sees two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And what do we read? Immediately, they just left their nets, and they followed. Immediately, I'll just leave it all following. They left their profession, they left their financial security, they left their comfort, they left everything. So the scribe comes up and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. We don't know what happened to him. Did he actually? I don't know. These men did. Follow me. Okay, here's my nets. Goodbye. Jesus, where are we going? I don't know where I'm going. I'm following you. Then you know what's fascinating? The next thing that we read, Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And do you remember where they are? They're in the boat with Zebedee, their father. Isn't that fascinating? They were mending their nets, and Jesus called them and said, Follow me. How did they respond? Follow them. They leave. Their father, Zebedee, in the boat. Everything behind. Follow after Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? Matthew chapter 4, 18 to 22 is the intended result. It's the hope, it's the aim of Matthew chapter 8, 18 to 22. Just four chapters before him. So while we aren't told in Matthew chapter 8 how these men respond, we do know that Jesus' disciples do respond to Jesus' call. And as his disciples, we do follow him. We leave behind everything in order to follow him. That's what marks a genuine Christian. Today we're encouraged to follow their example. Leave behind status. Embrace humiliation. Pursue Jesus with such singularity of purpose that we would leave everything familiar behind us and obey and follow Jesus in following him wherever he goes. So there are a few questions that we ought to be asking ourselves from this passage, questions that we are wrestling with as we consider our own lives, aren't there? There's probably a lot of them, but I'm going to give you a couple of them. And firstly, firstly, we must ask ourselves, are we a follower of Jesus? Actually, not, not are we a disciple? Right? Remember, this man was a disciple. He had attached himself to Jesus and followed Jesus for a time. But there's a way that we can attach ourselves to Jesus. We can be a disciple of him. We can hear his teachings and see the miracles that he's done. We can follow him in a surface level kind of way. What we see in a few chapters is we're going to get to a parable where Jesus will tell the parable of the sower who sows seeds. And some of it falls on ground. And guess what? It appears to bring life. The person shows some evidence of spiritual growth. But what we see in that parable explanation by Jesus is that there, this is a false profession of faith. And it's made evident when the deceitfulness of riches have a root in your life that caused the word of Christ to be choked, suffocated. And it proves you as a false disciple 
as you prefer comforts and riches to the call of following Christ. Think about the other person in that parable who they hear the word of God and they respond with joy. Isn't that often what we say is the marker of someone who becomes a Christian? They hear the gospel and they respond with joy. Joy. That's it. They're a Christian. Jesus said they received the word with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. Endures for a little while, but then when tribulation or persecution on account of the word comes, immediately he falls away. Friend, have you considered the cost of following Jesus? Is he worth leaving everything behind for? Will you indeed follow him wherever he leads you to go? Even when it means that you will have nowhere to lay your head in your days, might be filled with greater uncertainty and suffering simply for following him? Will you leave behind everything familiar, including family, for the sake of the gospel? So these are the questions that we need to consider so that we may not have false professions of faith and end up deceiving ourselves about the very state of our soul. Two weeks ago, I went down to Texas for a few days to um, help bury my grandfather. My grandfather uh, was raised in a family uh, with a mom and a dad who owned two different bars in town. They never had food in their house, but the kids were free to help themselves to as much beer and cigarettes as they wanted. When you're eight, you have a choice. You'd rather have food. So to make money in order to buy food, my grandfather and his sister, this is in the mid-1940s, would go to the bars owned by their mom and dad, and they would tap dance on the bar in order to make tip money so that they could, as an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, go buy groceries so that they could eat And into that very broken situation, when my grandfather was 12 years old, a local church heard about them and started bringing them food and clothing and inviting them to come to church. And it was there when my grandfather was 12 when he heard the gospel presented to him by a Sunday school teacher. In his own words later on in life, he said that the Sunday school teacher shared the gospel with him in a way that was both forceful and attractive. It's the goal of every preacher. Forceful, attractive. And, uh, and my grandfather believed upon Jesus and his life was transformed. Uh, as he was a high school student, he did a study called the Holy Spirit and Missions. And through that study, God led my grandfather to have a passion and a calling for preaching and a recognition that if Jesus was to be the Lord of his life, he had the right to choose his calling, what he did with his life. So he went to university and then to seminary and was appointed as a missionary to go to South Brazil, thus leaving everything behind, everything that he knew, with his wife and their three small children, they got into a boat, a boat, and left for Brazil. This was a long time ago. They left for Brazil. Was leaving everything behind. And he would spend the next 17 years sharing the gospel, planting churches, and making disciples. He then spent the next four decades serving both as a pastor and a preacher. 
And as I was at his funeral, I couldn't be more thankful for God's gracious work in my grandfather's life. As the Spirit empowered him to follow Jesus when things were not certain. He was a man who left behind a legacy of leaving everything that he knew as familiar to take the gospel to the nations so that they might be glad in hearing the good news of the gospel. And he spent his days following Jesus. And it all started by him receiving the kindness and generosity of the local church, then by hearing about Jesus from the Sunday school teacher, and God working a miracle in his life to save him and put him on a completely new path as he followed Jesus every step of the way. Brothers and sisters, the cost of following Jesus will be high. It will mean that the life that you thought you might have lived may not be the life that Jesus has for you. And it is worth it. Jesus is worth every sacrifice. And he knows what it is to leave everything behind. As it was he who left the glories of heaven and laid humanity alongside his divinity so that he might serve us by living the perfect life of obedience that we ought to have lived in our place. And then for the joy set before him, he laid down his life, suffering in our place as our substitute, facing the wrath of the Father against our many sins. And then he died. And three days later, he arose from the dead, conquering over Satan's sin and death and offering us forgiveness for our many sins. If we would but come, repent of our sins, trust upon him as our God, Savior, and King, and follow him wherever he leads us. So when, when he calls us to follow him, he does so as the one who beckons us to simply follow his own example, joining in his suffering and filling up the afflictions of Christ in every age, in every place that we live, so that we might share our lives the gospel with others and invite them to also count the cost and then call them to follow Jesus as well. I'm going to end by uh, jumping into the first verse of next week's text. Verse 23, Matthew chapter 8. We see this really beautiful phrase. We read, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Isn't that beautiful? He's explaining the weight, the cost, following him. This is what it means. Then he gets in the boat, his disciples file on as well. Following him. As we'll see, things will get tumultuous for them in a moment. But in this moment, Beautiful moment, knowing the cost, following after Jesus. Trinity Fellowship, may you, who started off so well in following Jesus when it was uncomfortable and uneasy, when it was costly, as you walk with the awareness that fines or jail or scrutiny might be in your future and you counted Christ as worthy of the reward of his suffering. 
press on. Follow Jesus. The cost is high. And it is worth it. Father, I pray that you would bless my brothers and sisters as they are following you and pursuing you. Father, I pray that you would comfort them as we walk through the beginning of birth pains, the continuance of birth pains, even here in our country for us to follow you. But also for those of us who are considering laying down our lives and following you into some precarious situations. Pray for those who might be considering what would it look like to follow you into unreached people groups who have little to no access to the gospel. As they're wrestling through laying everything behind, the family costs, the future costs, if they're younger, what their life might look like and wrestling with, what does it mean to follow you if they're older? Maybe that they that they won't get to be around grandkids as they're striving to make you known globally. God, I pray that this, this church will continue to lift high your timeless truths in your word. Continue to stand firm in the midst of godless days. Empower us by your spirit to press on. God, we need you. For we cannot press on in our own flesh or power. We cannot follow you by white knuckled obedience. God, work a miracle in our chest and give us grace. So, as the disciples did in Matthew chapter 4, to leave everything behind to follow you. For who has the word of life like you? Help us, we pray. We love you and we ask all of this in Jesus' great name.